Hi friends, and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. In our fifth and final episode of this season, we're asking ourselves the importance of being grounded. In this world where everything feels uncertain and unstable, and from one day to the next we don't know what's happening in the world of politics and in our own personal lives, you go to sleep with one thing being the case and wake up the next day with something else entirely. And asking ourselves, what can we do to ground ourselves? And in what can we ground ourselves that will truly last? That we, There's all sorts of people and places and situations that we can try and put our roots down, that we can try and lay the foundations of our lives on. It might be our job, it might be um, the security we find from having money in the bank, in our savings. It might be our family and our friends. It might be our social media presence. It might be our house. It might be the stuff that we own. All sorts of things. We're told over and over again that this is where it's at. This is what's important. This is where we should be grounding ourselves. And yet through this series, we've seen that we start first and foremost by grounding ourselves in Christ. And then the knock-on of that is that we ground ourselves in community and we ground ourselves into people and into place and we ground ourselves into contentment. And now finally we're seeing how we will ground ourselves in church. All of this is coming off the back of a a book that I read um, earlier on in the year by an author called Nathan Oates. The book was called Stability. And it looked at this from the vantage point of Benedict. And Benedict writing his law or his rule or his way of life. And him seeing that even back then, all those hundreds and thousands of years ago, that that stability, that structure, that groundedness was the main thing. And that all these other things would come and go. All these other trends would would rise and fall. And yet if you could keep that centre firm, if you could have your foundation in the right things and on the right person, then nothing else matters. And so he wrote this rule of stabilitos, stability, about being grounded. And what he did was he would talk about his own personal experiences and he gave um, four examples of different monks and their attitude. And the fourth and the final group of monks that he saved the most scathing kind of criticism for, he called the Gyrovigs. The Gyrovigs were a group of people who would go to a community, go to a religious establishment, go to a a monastery and quite happily take from that monastery. So they would be offered hospitality and they would be offered the best of everything. So they'd get the best food and the best drink and the best clothing and blankets and the best beds in the place. All because that's what those monks believed was, was how you were to treat visitors. That was how you were to treat out you were supposed to treat anyone coming to the monastery as if they were Jesus themselves. And so that's what they did. And these gyrovigs took advantage of that to the point that they just stayed there and took and took 
and took they were consumers and once they were um, faced forced to face up to this and, and challenged and said look you can't just keep taking you've got to give to this community as well that's how this works then they would leave and move on to the next and repeat the pattern and then they would leave and move on to the next and on and on and on never putting down those roots never grounding themselves in that religious community never grounding themselves in church with that all said as a kind of little preamble i'm going to just read two passages uh, from one of paul's letters that i think is probably one of the the best examples of how to address this issue of being grounded in church so from ephesians chapter 2 and then from ephesians chapter 5 so allow this time now if you want to read along by all means do that but if you want to just listen if you want to just have these words spoken over you and spoken into you and into your life and into your situation right now then please by all means take this opportunity to do so wherever you are wherever you find yourself as you're listening to this podcast if you're driving in the car or doing chores or you're at the gym or you've gone for a walk um, just allow these words to sink into you and do the work that they were inspired to do so Ephesians chapter 2 listen out for the themes as well listen out for those ideas of being grounded in church that first and foremost it's grounded in Christ and grounded in our commitment to Christ and then grounded in community and grounded in um all these other things people and place and grounded in contentment and now grounded in church so Ephesians chapter 2 wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin you let the world which doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled dis disobedience we all did it all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it all of us in the same boat it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go about bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No. We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each one of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. But don't, don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. 
you knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. But now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we are now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall that we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity, and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders, and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals, and so made us equals. Through him we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here, with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he is using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. And then chapter 5. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly, what God does is love you. Keep company with him, and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us, his love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices or bullying greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, Christians have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our lifestyle. Thanksgiving is our dialect. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get out of them, the usual variations of idolatry, will get you nowhere. And certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Don't let yourselves be taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around people like that. You groped your way through that murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. 
the good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the spirit of God. Huge draughts of him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our master, Jesus Christ. Wow. Just the sheer poetry that's involved, just the sheer craftsmanship that it takes to, to put those kinds of sentences and those kinds of thoughts and those kinds of big ideas together in those long poetical sentences. Absolutely fantastic. And says so much to us about the importance of being grounded in church. Now on the human side of it, a lot has been done in the wrong way in the name of the church. A lot has been used and misused and abused throughout church history and some horrendous things have been done, but that has all been done by us. That has all been done by humanity. Church in its most, most pure form, church in its most original idea of, of what this is supposed to be, this gathering of of God's children, this gathering of like-minded people, this gathering of all these people from different strains and different streams coming together, all the twos becoming one. That idea of church, that image is of a bride, is of the bride of Jesus. That image is of the body of Christ in the world today that we receive in that church. Yes, we do consume, we do receive some stuff, but we also give as well. We give to that as a community, but also we give out to the wider world that we are blessed to be a blessing and that our ultimate invitation is to go out and preach the gospel, is to go out and take that light of Christ with us and shine it in all those dark places in our world. The church isn't ours. Jesus says, I will build my church. It's Jesus who builds the church. And in Ephesians, particularly in chapter 5 that we just heard, we have these beautiful statements about Jesus loving the church and giving his life for the church and then making her clean and whole and presentable. He talks about that Jesus feeds and cares for the church. There's this intimate language like a, like a spouse, like a bridegroom with his bride or like a parent with a child. Despite the church's faults and failures and flaws, 
Jesus is committed to seeing this bride for who she could be. Seeing this bride as radiant. And as we're reminded over and over again, particularly in Ephesians, Jesus is the one who holds it all together. So church, as we conclude this grounded series, may you spot and recognise and shine a light on all the ways that perhaps you need to reground yourself in Christ and in community and in the people and the place and in contentment and in church. May you understand the importance of being grafted in and deeply, firmly fixed, rooted down into these firm foundations of Christ as our cornerstone, as we are built stone by stone and brick by brick, being held together by a Jesus who holds everything together. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen.